This week's episode is a recording of a conversation produced by Tiffany Earle and Anelody Milne, the founders of Lemmy. We've done our best to enhance the audio of the 20-year-old conference call. While the sound may not be the best, the content is a classic. Today's focus is exciting. It's something that Anelody and I both feel really, really passionate about. And we're happy to have so many of you come and join us today. And now he's going to start today is about the writing process. Specifically, we're talking about a different kind of process than what most of us grew up with in the normal public schools or even prep private school. And the, the writing process of actually intending when our students um, have something to give back that one of the forms they can use is writing. Go ahead, Anelody. Okay. Um, I'd like to begin today by telling you that I've invited on our call today Natalia and Tatiana. I hope they, they can unmute themselves when I uh, have when I need to call on them because people ask me all the time that if they um, how do we know that Thomas Jefferson education works? Well, I I just like to look at the fruit of of our labors and and I and the the people we that you and you get to see as our as our mentors and our mentees, um, you get to see Natalia and Tatiana who are you know, the products of the, the Thomas Jefferson education. Um, and yeah. and it's the most motivating factor, I think, when you can we really look at someone and say, Wow, that person is, is a great person and I, I'd like my children to be like them. I I actually have a family member who said to me one time, your kids are so great, Anelody. I want your my children to be be like yours. And I said, Well, she says, How do you do it? And I say, Well, we homeschool <laughs> and we do a Thomas Jefferson education. And what I think is very interesting is a lot of people will look at my children at the ages of six, seven, and eight, and they're really not that impressive other than, you know, they're good kids. They're okay. They're, but academically they're just not that impressive. And um, so I haven't had children who've been, you know, ahead of their their class or overachievers. Uh, in in I don't think in any way necessarily. But I think when you follow the process of a Thomas Jefferson education, something magical begins to happen to them right around the age of twelve to thirteen or fourteen. And you you see this process, and I tell you right now, I have a thirteen year old in my family. And Tiffany, it's so exciting to me to watch the process one more time for the fourth time in my family. Watch this little butterfly just emerge out of her cocoon and to see the beautiful colors that she's coming with and to see the personality blossom and the dedication to becoming a scholar and thinking and wanting to be able to contribute at a, at, at a great level and thinking of the lofty ideals of greatness. I can remember sometimes when I, when I was a youth and I would go listen to uh, youth motivational speakers and they would say to me, they would say to us, you are the next generation of leaders, da, 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 you know, and I would go home kind of thinking, I don't get it, but oh, cool, that's really cool. As well, the thing is, my kids get it about how they are the next 
generation of leaders. They understand it. And I believe, well, of course, I believe it's all because of what a Thomas Jefferson education has done for us in our family. It's improved my husband and myself and our marriage. It's improved our family. It is uh, what my children are. They understand when they come to a certain age in their life, they are scholars. And they will be scholars for the rest of their life. And um, as I was saying, my children are not, they're not overly um, exceptional as, as, as youth. And I think in general, a lot of people will say that if people who homeschool or do a Thomas Jefferson education, that they um, aren't necessarily, they don't look exceptional at, at, you know, these young ages. At age nine. <laughs> at age nine, yeah. Unless, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I look at your kids sometimes, Tiffany, I think, wow, they, they, you know, Jacob's really exceptional reading. And he, he's, he's a voracious reader, and I, and I love that. But it's his natural ability, right? Right. Oh, and, you know, my other kids all waited till they were nine. They didn't start reading when they were four. That right. was unusual. Yeah. And, and it's, but there's a beautiful thing is, uh, when your children come up to these, you know, come up to be 12, 13, or 14, you're going to see the same exact thing that, that Jacob's already exuding, you know, being 14 years old. So, right. You know, right. And, and I see what you're talking about that, that when the child gets in the scholar project, um, all of a sudden, they actually begin to excel from where their peers are, where before they may have been equal to or sometimes even behind in some of the academics. They no longer are by the time they have gone through the practice and apprentice scholar program. And it's not just your children and my children. We've seen it across the board. We get the teacher reports in all the time from the teachers around the U.S. and up into Canada. And it's really amazing what, the students can do and and part of it is because of the different the different form we use when it comes to teaching them to write because half of this is all about thinking right so um i want all of you to just take a little a little breath and be okay with where your children are up into the age of 12 they're they're okay I want to re-emphasize something that I've learned in the last two years. I have studied many of the great philosophers of education, and I have studied what people have said about children who learn and what processes they go through as they learn Montesquieu, I mean, I'm sorry, Montessori and um, Dewey and uh, Shizuki. Um, I have a whole list of, of these Hold, I, I these people and what they say about how children learn. What I think the beauty of, of, of a Thomas Jefferson education is I do believe that we have finally found, we have finally, after years and years and years of searching and, and looking, we have finally found the balance. What, how, how, how do we really teach children? How, how do you teach children really learn and where do we want to take them? You know, we've talked about how they, when they're in the, um, the love of learning phase, they're, they're really, really practicing initiative and they're really um, exploring and getting their fingers into things and really getting their brain to think about questions and ideas and 
and you know they jump around around these things but eventually we want them to start learning submission i will tell you i i meet a lot of homeschoolers who who in, intrinsically understand this and so they get to the, uh, the age of 12 and 13 years old when they're saying mom i need friends when they're saying um, dad i need to have a peer group i need to have more challenge in my life um and and the and parents that are homeschooling and doing a great job start to put out their feelings. Oh, where can we go? Where can we where, where can we find something for our children? And and there's a lot of many there's a lot of alternatives for people out there. But invariably, they choose the public school system as their as their fallback. My son is in um, is in a school up in Idaho right now in a private school. He's attending and having a wonderful time and meeting some fabulous, fabulous people. And um, has a men- mentor that I couldn't think of anyone better for him. But uh, he recently went to a um, high school musical and he was watching musical. And he said, Mom, every single one of the leads in the high school musical were used to be homeschooling. They're all gone back to school. But there's no other alternative for them. And that really makes me sad because I think to myself, it, it's so wonderful that these parents have worked so hard up into this, this you know, 12 and 13-year-old age to help them get a vision of wonderful lear- learning. I will tell you, that's when they need to, has to. It's, re- it, it's essential for them to take them to the next level of scholar skills, to get them to scholar faith. And it's so, and it's it's so much easier to do that with the peer group and with the scholar project. Yeah, and because the parents understand they need to start learning uh, submission, right? What are they looking for? They're looking for something that's going to require something out of them, right? Which is a normal time to to feel that way. Wouldn't you agree, Tiffany? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um. Let me just review really quickly some of our scholar skills. Do you remember, do you remember we, have some, we have skills that we want them to be able to uh, uh, acquire at the, um, the end, by the end of scholar phase. And I'm going to go through these five skills, five areas of skills. Reading, writing, computing, speaking, and thinking. Reading, writing, computing, speaking, and thinking. Today, we're going to be talking about writing. But what I think is very interesting is writing hinges upon all the other four, don't you think, Tiffany? Yes. In fact, I, I remember I was 18 years old the first time I found myself in a class by Dr. DeMille. And there were a handful of us that first year at Georgewood College. It, it was kind of a risk to be there. It was a leap of faith to be there. There was no track record. There was no nothing. There was just, um, I knew it was the right place for me to be. I knew it was the place to get the best education in the world. Um, I also knew that one day I wanted to write and to publish. And um, that there were various reasons why I knew that. But there I sat and he, Dr. DeMille looked at us and he said, you and you do any of you want to become good writers you know um 
that there were there the, there were some of us there and and some of us knew we wanted to but we were probably pretty scared to raise our hand. <laughs> um, he said, "This is what he said to us." He said, "Good, read a thousand books first." That's what he said. And I sat there and I looked at him and my eyes bored into him. I'm sitting there going, are you serious? But <laughs> if you're serious, then I have to do it. He was totally serious. Read a thousand books first. I wrote it down on my paper with a little star by it. And when I put a little star in my notes, it, it means action. <laughs> um, it, it means one of the most important things I'm writing in my notes that day. And it said, read a thousand books so that I can write well. It reminds me of me anymore. Yeah, uh, how he, uh, for those of you who are interested in, in the story of Louis Lamour, it can be found in The Education of a Wandering Man, and, and it's one of my favorite books and examples of uh, what, it be, what it is to become uh, a person who's fulfilled their mission, and uh, very scholarly, uh, when, when maybe a scholar education wasn't being offered at the time. Of course, in the, in the 1930s, it wasn't being offered by that time. By that time, we'd have completely lost what it is to become a scholar but um even more he when he was 16 years old he was a junior uh, junior or sophomore in high school and his father was actually a teacher i'm sure and uh he had parents who really had given him a great foundation a love of learning and and core faith and he said to his father i'm going to leave school now it's getting in the way of my education yeah, and and so Louis Moore left school. He, but he uh, never quit his education. Yeah, he <laughs> never quit his education. In the fact, in fact, in the back of uh, Education of a Wandering Man, is a list of all the books that he read in the four years that he wandered. And um, it's like a hundred books a, a year, isn't it, Tiffany? Well, he he, it was more than that. But one time, someone asked him, said, um, I. Do you think I should study and go about my life's mission the way you do? And and um, Lamar looked at him and he said, "Do you read a hundred nonfiction books a year for the fun of it?" So <laughs> if you don't, then, then no, I, I don't suggest you do it the way I do. <laughs> but what I think, I think people very need an outside thing to make them do it. Yeah, what I think is very interesting is that you said nonfiction books. Believe me, he was right. He was reading fiction books. Yeah, at the yeah. same time. But that, but that was just it. He's like, do you do at least 100? You, you know, because if you don't already do this, you're not going to do it the way I did it. You know, right. Yeah. And, and he's so funny because you, you ask him, would you, would you suggest that people do it this way? And he, and he flat out says, no. Right. It's the harder way. He says, no, don't do it my way. It's, yeah. it's the harder way. Find find a good mentor. Find a system that helps you get this kind of education. The problem was he just didn't have it available to him, so he had to make it happen for himself. But he spent a lot of informal mentors instead of formal ones. Yeah, he had a lot of informal ones. You know, and the books themselves became mentors to him. But he did have a really fabulous core phase that that helped him. A scholar phase. He yeah. he he, had, he learned his scholar skills from his family. He didn't yet, jump out on his own until he he was beyond TJYC level. It's true. You're exactly yeah. right. Yeah, he he had these skills. He could do it then. 
So, as we were saying, reading, thinking, speaking, computing, all they're all are related. They're all pivotal. All of the pivotal points of writing. Right. So, what we like to say is, uh, in smaller phase, we'd like to be able to learn to read like a. Do you remember these, Tiffany? To to read like a read. lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. To write like an author. Compute like a mathematician, to speak like an orator, and to think like a philosopher. That's right. That's our goal by the end of TJYC, that they can have the foundation for all of those things. One of the reasons why we do, um, in the third semester of TJYC, we do the uh, Supreme Court simulations because we really are serious. We want them to be reading like a lawyer. We want them to be able to read the brief and the opinions of the court and understand what they have to say. Now, I'm not saying that that's going to be easy for them. It's going to be hard. But they do it. Yeah. They do it, though. That's the amazing thing. Yes, they do it. Yeah. I mean, I I'm I have a, an assistant in my class right now who is in TJYC, and she said, oh, I, I can't help you with that right now because I'm working on my Supreme Court simulation. I said, well, how is it coming? And this was like two months ago. She said, I, I, I am so confused. I am not going to be able to do this. I am, this is just so hard. And yesterday I talked to her and I said, so how is your Supreme Court simulation coming? She said, we're going to have a minute. So do you, do you understand the case? Have you ever been able to read the opinion and the brief? And she said, yes, I totally get it. I know how to do this. <laughs> I said, two months ago, you were telling me how hard it was. Well, you know, I just learned how to read it. You know, I learned all the abbreviations and what the words meant, and I I learned how to I I totally understand that it's just a my um, shameless facts, my statement of issues, and my and my argument, and I know how to do that. That's that's simple. <laughs> it's amazing to me, you know. It, it really is fairly simple. It's simple. We just think it's complicated. Anyway, so um, and I, and I'll I'll tell you. I'll tell you one more thing about these scholar skills. Um, when when we first started, it was years ago. Because years ago, when I lived in Cedar City, and and I remember having conversations with Dr. Demille, with Rachel, and with different um, teachers at the college, and I remember I remember having this aha, and um, saying the difference between those who succeed. Now, you have to realize the bar has been raised with the entry-level students at George with over the last 14 years, absolutely. And um, I know that part of it was this the initiation of a focus on scholar skills because I remember saying um, the difference between those who succeed the first year at George with and those who have to wait a whole year before they can really delve in and get this kind of education is those who have scholar skills and those who don't. Exactly. Because everybody who comes in has really high vision. The people who come in have a high mission. Most of them have developed um, at least a certain amount of ability that they have character. Uh, there's yeah. not a lot of students at George Wood who don't have character, okay? Yeah. So their ability level is at least high enough to say they've got character and they're really working on building their integrity, okay? But not everyone's scholar skills was solid and high. Yeah. Many times it was very, very low. And one of the first seminars we did, on scholar phase was a major focus on scholar skills and I would get literally a hundred emails a year requesting from me um, a list of scholar skills and every time I went to write back to these strangers who would email and say please give me a list of scholar skills I never felt right about it 
And besides which, it was in Oliver's book under with Princeton and Harvard skills or tastes. They already had the list and didn't know they had the list. And um, I just would cringe inside and I thought, why, why can I not give them a list? And Ellie, this was well, really this important. Is our list. This I read like this a lawyer. List. <laughs> but I, I, I like could not author. give them. That's right. I could not give them a list, and here's why. And we don't just hand this out, Melody. I'll tell you why. You have to be mentored through scholar skills. Yes, you do. That is what our projects are about. They are writing projects. They are reading projects. Computing, speaking, thinking, studying. Um, you are mentored through scholar skills, and so. If they didn't have a not and you cannot mentor scholars games until you've been mentored through scholars games and doing right. it yourself. Right. And that's why when I teach, when I teach TJs TJYC with the kids, I actually write a research paper. Right. When I teach Sword of Freedom, I actually write a hero report. I'm in the middle of writing a hero report on 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 Chamberlain right now. I had it took me a long time to figure because. out who I wanted to have my, as my hero because I had to really think, and I had to... Because it gives you spiritual eyes. Because it gives you spiritual eyes. Yeah. It, it hones them in. You know what they're it feeling. You know what they're feeling. Exactly. Right. It helps you understand where that student is and what they're experiencing. Yeah. You cannot teach it. It's to me, it really is a concept that you can't just have a list of scholar skills and, and give that to someone, and that helps them. This is actually... Um, when the art of mentoring was last, then part of, you know, obtaining scholar skills was last because we are mentored through them. And we want to focus specifically for the next hour on the writing and how we are mentoring our students. And um, we start with them at the practice scholar level. But we have to realize that if they missed two things before practice scholar, then you need to be able to back up and help them obtain that during their practice scholar year. And nobody's going to um, focus on this right now, on these things. Um, Tiffany, I was going to say that I really believe that one of the reasons why we have, uh, we want a list of, of scholars' data is because we think that the written tradition is everything that we can we need to refer back to, but we have really lost the oral tradition, the oral traditions in our society, which is, which is mentoring. We'll yeah, and, and there is a list there. I just knew that me giving them a list wasn't going to help them gain scholar skills. That's what I knew. Yeah, I knew it wasn't going to help them. Why? Because it, they had to be mentored through them. Because we need to start relying more on these oral traditions, passing yeah. those things down through in a coaching environment, in a one-on-one environment, in a classroom environment, where we're all learning that t- together. Okay, so let us, let us look at the writing process itself. The writing process begins with with speaking. That's right. It's actually an oral. It it starts out. Um, you hear, but you're going to write before you write it. You speak of it first. Speaking is the first step. It's, it's not. I mean, all of it. Thinking. thinking is the first step. Okay, feeling and thinking. Um, and that's important to talk about the feeling and the thoughts. Um, right. But from um, actually speaking, come first, but speaking is speaking is the first step of, of connected communication. That's right. It's the first step of communication. So you're feeling it and you're thinking it, but the first opportunity for you to communicate it is through speaking. 
right? There's there's lots of levels of communication, even if you don't speak. I mean, a baby communicates, okay? So it's not the, the it, it's kind of tricky here. Um, what matters, the point that we're trying to get at, though, is that if you have a practice scholar student who did, was not able to express themselves verbally in their home, um, they may have a more difficult time getting it out on paper unless they did a lot of speaking in their head. If they if they said to themselves, I'm serious. Yeah, if they put totally. themselves in their head a lot, they'll be fine. But if their head was empty, okay, they their papers are going to be empty. Um, and but and Tiffany's it, it also uh, that's a really good point. Unless they were doing it in their head, having dialogue in their head, because there are people who are internal processors. Right. And there are people right. who are external processors. I have a, a young student that I am working with uh, pretty intimately right now in writing. And he's an internal processor. And he has to think it through in his head before he can put it out on paper. He has to think it through in his head. And and what I think is interesting is he's he's been kind of a shy person. He didn't speak a lot, but you know something's in that head. <laughs> right. right. You know it's got to get out. Okay, so it's crazy that you think that writing actually starts with the word audio. That's what the word I meant, is that it's actually an audio thing. Okay, okay. so the next, the next um, level or the next uh, yeah, level we go to after, after we start learning and speaking and language is we start narrating our stories. We start telling our stories. Man, I had a dream last night. This dream? This monster is running after me, and we, and on and on and on and on and on and on, right? And I love um, Christina Wardrop talks about how her children get up and they tell, they just narrate these wonderful, incredible dreams. And then she says, "What were you dreaming all night, lad? Didn't go up all night? It's dreadful. Listen to this all night." And well, the narration is important because they're actually learning low and point to point to point and. um it's so important. So if you keep saying to them, get to the point, get to the point, get to the point, then you're actually stopping them from their flow of thought. So yes, I but sometimes we'll have to get to the point. <laughs> it takes less person to get to the point. Get to the point. Wait to the story. Exactly. But what you oh want to God. be able to do, <laughs> what you want to be able to do is get them that narration, that beautiful narration, into some kind of creation. Into like my son has a dream journal and he draws pictures and that's part of his writing. He's not a great artist, but he is a great communicator because he draws pictures and he he posts them all over the house. Those pictures of him, you know, being attacked by the bear and Daki is coming in and and saving him and there's mommy and daddy and we have we have dream pictures all over the house. And, and and they're not just dream pictures. They're, they're stories that are going on in his head, right? You know that he's creating. He wants a wonderful level. way to foster that, right? My, so then, my little girl, and, and this is it. This is really important. How in the, were you talking about Matthias, or is it Zachy who? Okay, Matthias. I thought it was Matthias. Um, they will manifest that creation differently. Um, Melanie, my little girl. She, her creations are her dances and her songs. She dances all over the house her, when they tell her and her ideas. Definitely, her feelings, her thoughts, everything, and her songs. 
she writes she doesn't physically write them she sings them everywhere my i mean my <laughs> my family my extended she family she doesn't rhyme all the time no let's <laughs> <laughs> say it comes out it's that creation process and so with our young ones we encourage the creation and the expression of what they're feeling and thinking and my whatever friend, comes out, I think it's beautiful that you, what you told us about Matthias. Yeah. My friend, my friend Stephanie has a little just like that. He, he sings all of his creation. It's the place of creation where they need to have that expression. And, and it comes out of many different ways in many different children. If you just look and think, how is my child uh, expressing his creation, his narration, creating yeah. his narration? Yeah. Okay, so... So we want to take them to the next level, and that is to take the creation that they're telling, they're, that they're creating, and maybe around the ages of 9, 10, 11, 12, I don't know, um, start asking them, could you, could, you, could you tell that story to me so I can dictate it in the journal, or could you write that in a journal, or could you, could you tell the story in a journal? And, um, and many times it's you just taking dictation for them. Right. I know that we try um, at least once a week. Our goal is three times, but our minimum is three. I mean, one, where we actually let the children dictate stories into the journal. Right. So they can see it. It's, it's being modeled. So the child is not being ignored during core and level of learning. They're so watching. Fun. Oh, my gosh, my story. And they come up and have us read it all the time. Read yeah. the one where. Yeah. And, and it really. It, it will. It moves them through understanding where they're headed. Have this wonderful little notebook that has a place for them to draw their pictures. So, um, and then it has lines underneath it. So, so Matthias will draw his pictures, and then I'll say to, "Can you tell? Me, can you explain it to me?" And he'll explain to me the story, and I will write it out. You lost it. Is that my story, Mom? Yes, wow. that's your story. Is that my dream? Yes, that's my dream. That's your dream. And so he can see it written, and all of a sudden it becomes meaningful to him. Yeah. Okay, so we want to take him to the next level, which is um, the writing of opinion papers. And this is um, the level we hope they come to as practice scholar students. But once again, if you've got 15 students, you have 15 different levels. Right. Right, but and we it, we spent two years asking them to give us their opinions, and it gives them time to go through the pre things that they haven't had it, and also begin using their hands, um, working on actually physically writing down their thoughts, which is a lot of work. Right, and I have some writing samples for you. I want to tell you, um, Fagans' use will really okay. I'll just say it right out. I came from a conveyor belt model. I had no intention of ever writing in my entire life. I never did. The way I expressed was through music and through my creations of sewing and those kinds of things. I had no, no intention whatsoever to ever write. My husband said to me one time, when I was first married, he says, I want to write a book. I said, oh, cool. That's really cool. He says, don't you want to write a book? And I said, no, never. No, I don't want to write a book. <laughs> no, I don't want to write a book. And he says to me, come on, Melody, there's a book in everyone. Well, there's not a book in me. 
<laughs> what I think is really interesting is I published before he published. Because I found the book in me. Because I had an idea. I had an opinion about something. That I needed to have the skills to persuade others that they could do, they could uh, offer alternatives for their children. That before this, I really didn't, I had opinions that I was a philodoxist. I wasn't a philosopher. I wasn't a lover of wisdom. I was a member of my own opinion. I had opinions that they were uh, founded on nothing but my own opinion. Now that I had thoughts and ideas, I actually um, would rather change the opinion papers to my thought papers. Don't you think that would be a better word for us to use, Tiffany? Our thought it papers. Is. That, that would be great. They're thought papers. I like our, because or our idea papers. Thinking. Yeah, right. Yeah, idea papers. It, that, they are. They're, they're ideas. And it's amazing what you just said because you had opinions, but you didn't have the scholar skills nor the ability to reason. And, but when you did, when you actually had the ability to reason and you could um, think clearly and show proof and show if we did this, then this will happen, then you could, you could write the book that was in you. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, I had the ability to write the book that was in me. Well, I and did. it actually formed the book that was in you. <laughs> it, it's true. It, it, it really did. Because until you could think clearly, it, does it, I mean, you could think, but I mean in terms of thinking in form, thinking in system. Because the book was a persuasion of, you know what, anything that had to do with the great debate, the book in the great debate, the great conversation, the classics, they are all discussing systems and form. They are all discussing a way to do something. And most books that you read are trying to get you to do something a certain way. And that takes a level of thinking. You have to be able to compare ways to do things. Right. Right. So, as Tiffany and I were talking about, is our projects are a writing course. If people would understand that this is what it is, is we are, they're writing courses. People say, oh, you're studying the Constitution? Yeah, we're studying the Constitution and we're learning how to write. Oh, you're studying American history? Yeah, we're studying American history and we're learning how to write because we understand that it's part of the process. You can't, uh, maybe some of the lies that we've been believing is that, that you can separate the parts from the whole. You don't want to separate the parts from the whole. You want to give them a big picture of a whole so they have a reason for the parts of writing and spelling and reading and all of these, these things that you can take out. That's one of the downfalls of the conveyor belt education is separating the doll's arm from the doll's feet, from the doll's eyes, and everything is separated and segregated. And it's really funny if you look at any one of the projects, it is a whole. It's the history. It's economics. It's philosophy. It's writing. It's all of those. They're not separated. And if we had to turn it into a rubric, when you have... I don't know if any of you, for your students, have ever had to make a transcription. Um, a transcript, I mean, for them to show what they've been studying and have to turn it into the state or, or into something so they can qualify to go somewhere. But if you just put a leadership course, they're going to listen to that and say, oh, wow, that's great. But if you break it down to what it really is, the reading, writing, history, um, philosophy, 
da 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 one credit in this and one credit in this and one credit in this. It's really amazing. Well, I have to tell you, Tiffany, and in our um, school district, we can get actual credits, high school credits for TJYC and the classes that we do in the Commonwealth School. All we have to do is we have to go in and tell them what we've been doing, what we've studied. And so um, well, I have a student who decided to, that they wanted to do that because they wanted to get a high school gra- um, graduation or they needed credit for something. And so I took, that student took in the things that they were doing and the, t- the teacher, I mean, the, the administrator looked at it and said, oh, you can, get a, you can get a credit for writing here. You can get a credit for reading here because you have all the books you read. You can get a credit for history. You can get a credit for, I think she got like six credits for Key of Liberty. Yeah. And the same thing for TGYC. They are yeah. getting a full rounded education in one project. Yeah. It's amazing. They, so, they move from, and it's, oh, are you going to share a couple of those opinion papers? Yeah, I'm going to share, I'm going to share these. What I would like to, um, to, Say is that by the end of their first semester of, of, of each one of the courses, each one of the practice science classes, they should have written between six to nine papers. And these are just summaries or reports. I was t- talking to um, a woman whose daughter is in the pedics, is in the on the conveyor belt system right now, and she uh, was. T- I, we were talking about writing and um, the process of writing and what she was going through with her daughter. And her daughter, I said, well, what kind of uh, papers does your daughter writing? She's in eighth grade right now. Well, right now she's, you know, she's doing big reports, just like big reports in summary. And I thought to myself, hmm, interesting. We only do the kids only do one book report and one summary in the practice level level, but they do six. Well, by the end of the year, six to twelve opinion papers. These and that's for one course, world. and they're usually in two. Right. You know, I mean, yeah. sometimes it's double that. At least my son was writing an opinion, two opinion papers a week, usually. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. You know, I mean, that he and opinion papers are totally different than reports. Right. Okay, I have uh, some samples here I want to, to share with you because it's just so exciting to me to watch this process. Okay, and wait, going to read. I, and Melody, I want to comment on this just for a second. Um, I think it's Adler, I think it's Mortimer Adler, talks about the four different levels of reading. This right. is interesting because a report is simply the very first level of reading. That is all they're expecting from the sixth and ninth graders are these reports. That is level one, that you know what was said, and that is it. What an opinion paper is the highest level, which is, I want your opinion about every thought in the universe, including the, on this topic. You need to pull from what you've read, from what you've experienced, from what you've been told, from what you feel, from da-da-da-da-da, and the expectation is totally different. It moves them into the thinking category. Not, exactly. can you think what I tell you to think, but can you think? Right. Because and they're already they're doing that. They have already been doing that in their journaling. You know, um, I read a book and I wrote a report on it or, you know, they've, they've already been doing that and they will already, already do it. Right. You have to do the lower level to be able to do the upper level. It's just that the expectation is so much higher. It's kind of like the expectation when they're 14 and 15 and 16 to be able to read lawyer briefs and write them. 
Um, <laughs> I there's a major philosophy um, that well, I don't know where it's come from, but the things I've read on it's part of Zed and it comes from the Eastern cultures. But there's a, a major philosophy that you should not have expectations. Well, I'm really glad we have well, that. It's very cosmic humanist. Yes, it's very people like don't have expectations, and then you'll never be disappointed, and you won't be unhappy. But happy. I'm glad we have the expectation that they can read Supreme Court cases and have liberty. I'm glad that we have um, the expectation that they can actually think and express themselves through writing, even when they're 12. Even if at first it's only one paragraph. Uh, go ahead and share these opinion papers. Okay. Um, I, I want to I make this very clear that the parents need to be mentoring your, these children at home. They need to be sitting down with them every single week going over writing with them. They need to have a... I have a, I have a friend who I was teaching this in my community and she raised her head and said, my daughter won't let me sit down with her. And I said, have you put it into your system? Do they know that this is what is expected of them? That they come to your parent mentoring meeting with these certain things? That they come expected to having having something written that you're going to go over. That they come having something something that they're working on. That they come with a uh, planner that has their their whole plan for the week and for their education in it. And they're telling you, you know, this is what I'm doing. This is where I'm going. This is why I'm, you know, this is what I, what's required for me in this class. And this is what my this is what I intend to do, Mom, Dad. I intend to do this this week. You know, they have a really, really important skills that they need to be learning and they need to be having in their parent mentoring, parent mentoring sessions with. Well, and if their... you do it in the parent mentoring form versus just whenever it's starting to stress you out, one is using the form of nagging and the other one is using the form of productivity. Big exactly. difference. Exactly. Big difference. It's the, it's the whole um, cubby quadrant, right? If you're always in crisis, you're always trying to solve your problems that you never have a, a, a system for solving, right? Because you're always in crisis. But if you get into the quadrant two, which is the management, proactive, yeah, proactive, then you, you, you come up to much less, more, much less crisis in your life. When your systems are falling into, uh, are taking care of those things. Okay, so um, this, I want to go through this process of writing. I, I have a sample of one of my students, and I'm going to use the same student. Um, and this is the this is Avery Decord. This is one of her first papers for Key of Liberty, and then I'm going to read a second one closer to the end of Key of Liberty, and then I'm going to read um, one that was just recent this week. For two weeks ago. Okay, so and this child is is 13 into her second year of um, of the project, and she's in Sword of Freedom, and she's in Shakespeare right now. Okay, okay. so you're reading okay. one the first couple months, one at the end of that first year, and then one, you know, three months after the second. Ah, awesome. Okay, so this is the first paper. What powers do I have to make laws as an American citizen? And this is her paper. Um, she has a little um, asterisk, a little hit point. What are those called? Bullets. She has a little bullet, bullet and it says, I can contact my representative and senator and have them vote 
for a bill I want. Another bullet. I can be involved in a lobbyist group. Another bullet. I can have a sponsor. Another bullet. I can be effective in my community more than I can at my, at my, at my state or federal. Okay. That's, that's her paper. That's a good paper. Very good. Very good. Paper. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with that. That's a really good point. Because what we're asking in all of these is, are they thinking? Is she thinking? Yeah, she's thinking. Yes. And, and she's very articulate. Uh, believe yeah. me, that, that paper took like, you know, two or three write, rewrites, by the way. <laughs> right. That's, right. That's not the first write, right. Okay. Okay. So right. this is the second one. And this is the, uh, I think this is actually, oh yeah, this is the end of, of the last semester of Key of Liberty. I think it's one of the last papers. It says, uh, the question is, is it ever wrong to follow the law? Ooh, that's a big question, isn't it? Is it ever to break wrong the law? To follow the law. Is it ever oh, wrong? Okay. Follow okay. the law. Okay. Okay. And this is what it's entitled, Daniel and the Immoral Law. Once upon a time, there was a king who made a law that you could only pray to him and no other king or God. A man named Daniel, a good friend of the king, knowing that this law was immoral, broke it by praying to the God of Israel, for that is where he had his allegiance. He loved the God of Israel. In my core book, it teaches that we should obey the laws of the land. It says we believe in being subject to kings, presidents, rulers, and magistrates in obeying, honoring, and sustaining the law. The problem is, it also states that we claim the privilege of worshiping Almighty God according to the dictates of our own conscience and allow all men the same privilege. Let them worship power and what they may. Daniel had to break the king's law because he was bound to keep a higher law. The king's law would have made Daniel betray his God. I think that any law that requires us to betray our God or moral standard should be disobeyed. We're interrupting this broadcast to invite you to ask questions or share your epiphanies in the comment section. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving us a good review on the platform you are using, because that really helps others find our content. Also, check out our website at lemmymentortraining.com. That's amazing growth in nine months. <laughs> okay, read us the next one. <laughs> now you do have what happened down. though it is what happened you do have to understand this child has really good mentoring you know like, she works with her parents and it's it's obvious okay this is the last one this is two weeks ago is it right or wrong that's that's the question now that it, it She's gone from stating the whole question to just the title of her question, uh, of her book. Is it, I mean, of her paper. Is it right or wrong? Oh, all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, what's right or wrong? Yeah. Do you Holy, know that caught you, lured you in? <laughs> yes. Do you know that death is a solution sometimes? You know, you could kill yourself out of the world if you'd like. You could commit suicide. <laughs> there are tons of ways you could do it. You could shoot yourself, poison yourself, stab yourself, drown yourself. Shakespeare's top taught them all to us. <laughs> Great. 
<laughs> the question is whether it's right or wrong. In Shakespeare's play, King Lear, two sisters, Gonril and Regan, are fighting for Edmund, the, uh, the Earl of Gloucester, a bastard son. Regan thinks he loves her, but Gonril thinks he loved her. In the course of the play, Gonril kills Regan so that she can have all of Edmund's death. Gonril's choice to kill her sister was wrong. It did not solve any conflicts. It made them worse. Gonorrhoe was only thinking of herself, only of her gain and no one else. Her allegiance was to herself. In the Book of Mormon, we learn of a young man who is com commanded by God to kill Laban. Laban is being stubborn and will not give Nephi and his family the plate that his family rightfully owns. If Laban does not give the plates to Nephi, the people will go astray. In Nephi's situation, I believe that the solution for his problem was a good one because it had to help his people and his God. Nephi's allegiance was to God, and that is why he killed Laban. Well, death is a solution, but only a good solution when God commands it. Wow, how, how, how fun. Oh my gosh, that is really fun to get and see the progression of the papers. <laughs> it's amazing. It's totally amazing to me. But like I said, you have to realize that the parents of this child work with her every single week on her writing. And, they, you know, they go from one sentence to, to many sentences, to a paper, to something that's really that really shows truth. And what I really have enjoyed in the, in the, the, the two papers that she wrote is that she's comparing it to her core book. Which is, isn't that a Thomas Jefferson education anyway? Right. So, Tiffany, take us on to the next level of writing. Well, the first one is, I would dare say the only reason and only way her parents can mentor her through that process is that they're writing. They understand the process. So I want to talk a moment about each of us as mentors and writing ourselves. There's a few ways that, that we encourage each of you as our teacher to write and one of them is in your teacher report so those might seem like a little thing when actually they are a small and simple thing but they um carry a lot of meaning um one of the things is they teach you to communicate effectively besides you learning to go and report processes and the art of mentoring because if if you're a good mentee you will eventually be a good mentor and if you don't take the steps and responsibilities of of being a good mentee, um, don't ever expect yourself to reach a high level of mentoring. Can I ask good. you a question, Tiffany? Yeah. What do you think? What do you think is these is is some of the roadblocks we face as 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 adults who've gone through uh, the conveyor belt system? Um, in in actually sitting down and writing, what are what are some of the roadblocks that that we face? Why why don't we write? Biggest one is that we haven't developed the ability to set up system. That is the biggest one because most have the desire, know that it's good, know that it will help them. And yeah, there are roadblocks actually when you sit down to write, communicate, like because we might be on a lower level of communication, okay, and might be disappointed in ourselves and not want anybody to see that we're not very good at it. There, there can be that one that you're sitting there comparing yourself to somebody, and that can stop people because we're well, comparing we yourself. Perfection. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's like perfection, and 
And writing is really a process. I mean, even this morning, you know, Anelody and I talking about the things that we've written and published, and we're continually improving that level. Um, we, like this year, we're making a, a huge endeavor to have the grammar and punctuation edited by professionals. You know, because it is a process. It you can it can have the impact it's having, but as soon as we get it to the next level, it will have an even better impact because writing is a process. So that is one of the roadblocks that our teachers face. Do you remember the first time that you and I met and you gave us a Judith uh, exam? Do you remember yes. what what happened that day? I think it's really very interesting because uh, we came to you, my, me and my two friends, with the intention that we were going to train for TJYC. And I wasn't going to teach it. Do you remember this? Yeah, you had Zachy, a baby on your hip, like nine months old. Oh, yeah, actually, I remember. I, actually, I had, I, Zachy hadn't come yet, but... Oh, I was it Matthias? Yeah, it was Matthias, too, and had a lot of all these learning problems. And I was teaching Shakespeare at the time. And so oh, I had. A, I just remember I, you had young babies. <laughs> yeah, I had. Yeah, I had Matthias who had all those kinds of. Pro- oh, he would he'd been hospitalized and you know all those problems. And I was teaching Shakespeare and I was getting my five pillar and I decided no, I'm not going to do all that kind of stuff. So I'm not going to teach TJYC. So with the when the intention of I'm not going to do this, I was taking no risk. I was just coming along for the ride. You sat day, down, gave us this civic exam. You handed it to my two friends and myself, and I just started writing. Do you remember that? There was yeah. no risk for me. And my other yeah. two friends who were thinking they were going to teach the course were like freaking out. <laughs> but a little bit nervous. Just a little bit nervous. But I have nothing to fix. And I'm looking up and I'm like, yeah, it's fine. You know, of course, you're, it's, it's no problem. Just write what you think. <laughs> I, I was very carefree because I had, there was no risk for me. But now I realize, oh my gosh, I ended up teaching TJYC. I can't, I can't believe. But I remember you saying, after we were done, you and you and I were talking about this several months later. You said, I realized that you were the one I wanted to teach that course because you would not hold back. Well, it's really amazing because all three of of you, um, it is, I just really see the hand of God with. Elaine and how she ended up moving and, and a year later started teaching and, and became one of our best TJYC teachers. Yeah, our trainer. She's our TJYC trainer, in fact. I mean, the whole thing. And yet you were the one that absolutely, uh, we were supposed to build Lemmy together. I mean, right. it, it all of a sudden wasn't just about the TJYC. There was a whole another level of, of us right. working together. And thank goodness I took the mentor's advice when our fears advice and grew small at first but when our fears get in our way it stops us doesn't it yeah our fears yeah. of maybe our maybe our grammar is not going to be perfect or maybe our, i don't know how to write a sentence or i don't know how to write i don't know how to form a, a an essay or i don't know how to picture do things or whatever it is you know or whatever fears right. that we have keep us right. writing. hopefully we're, we're giving the students enough um confidence in the practical levels that they aren't afraid to express they just keep on doing and keep on doing well and this is important at that practice scholar level i know i know that the black and white of tj ed says give them da's unless it's publishable or quality i know that it says that but 
um, the DA of a practice salary is they're writing another opinion paper the next week. That's right. And and the next week they're writing another one. And the next week they're writing another one. Now at home with mom and dad, when they're in tears for the first two months, because it's a very emotional process for them to write, I don't know how many students aren't in tears or throwing something or frustrated. Um, I mean, there can be some, especially if you've got strong journal writers, okay? But if you've got some who, who haven't even done that level yet, it, it, it can be an emotional process for them. And um, at home, like, I, I know that as a practice scholar teacher, I can see when the child, the, the mother is actually dictating to the child because those papers will come in and it's obvious that that's the level that they're still at because the parents haven't been trained in our model, which is that the child should be dictating to the mother. And if the sentence is broken, leave it broken. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. eventually, like I know the first paper that my son did, he couldn't he spent two full days and couldn't get sentences on the paper he had crumpled up so many things and had chicken scratches and smudges and half sentences and bullet points all the way down you know all that kind of stuff and he was upset about it and i finally sat down he didn't even know what i was doing i had my laptop he sat on the other side of the kitchen table and i said well what do you think about user read jacob and he started talking to me and he didn't know i was writing him everything he said Punctuating <laughs> um, it just like he said, and I said, and and I would have follow-up questions on what he was saying. Pretty soon, I'd have page written, and he goes, "What are you doing? Are you typing what I said? Stop it! Stop it!" <laughs> and I went to the top of the paper and I wrote draft one, and I turned it to him and he looked at it and I said, "Come over here and sit by me." And he did, and I wrote at the bottom draft two, and I said, "What else do you think about usury?" He went to the next level, and I started writing and writing and writing. And he was done. And I said, great. And I said, do you know how to cut and paste? I said, draft three. And he took the best part and filled in the difference, and he ended up with two or three paragraphs um, of his creation. I said, look at this. You know how to seize? I said, you're just letting everything get in your way. Just rise what you're thinking. But that's how we had to do the first one. Now, what? sometimes happens in a home is um, the mom will dictate to the child so that it's in the child's handwriting, but I, we can tell it's the mom's bad words that come because it's on a whole different... Do you ever get those sometimes? Anelity? No, I don't get them very often. Because you had good communication no. with your parents? I said, well, they do. It really is reflective. Um, yeah. But what happens is mom gets sick of that after like five opinion papers. And pretty soon she said, guys, do it on your own. And then finally the real opinion paper comes in. If, I mean, I've, I've seen that when, when I've taught in the practice scholar classes. And that's okay, too, because eventually mom does get sick of it. And the time she pushes them out of the nest, you know. But I, we're, we're going off on that. But uh, the, the point is here with our teachers is we want you to write yourself. And here's the four things that we encourage you to do. Your teacher report, um, personal journal. Now, I want to talk a moment about the personal journal because there are different kinds of journals. It's really interesting. Moving down to Monticello and um, making new acquaintances and building new relationships down here, um, I'm getting really close to um, 
I'm one of the families that lives down here. She and I do a lot of schooling together with the children. She's in a master's degree program at Georgia College. And um, I, I, she had printed off a week or two weeks worth of her journaling. And I said, can I see that for a second? And it was her academic journal. She passed it over to me. And I was like, I would really love it if it's not too imposing, if I could actually read, you know, not just glance at this, but actually learn your style. I said, um, I really like it. And um, I'd like to model, I'd like to be able to learn and, and be able to write in a new form. Because I analyzed my personal journals and how I keep my personal journals and realized that my Yahoo account is a major journal for me because I um, will write something that I care about to Anelody or to my sister or to my grandma or to one of my teachers. And um, I'll always have an audience. Yeah, I have an audience. And um, I don't like to rewrite my stuff. And so that, I put it in my journal. I have a journal of letters. I have, I have you know, about 80% of my, I don't know, 50% of my personal journal is letters, probably. The other 50% is actually journal entries. But a red block for me in my academic journal is that I didn't keep it short and sweet. So it would discourage me from writing um, and annotating in my soft because it'd be two and three pages and, you know, a mom of five, how long do you get to, how, you know, how much time do you have? So I was really impressed with Michelle's because they were just a small paragraph and every word counted. And it was very distinct. And I'm like, I am going to actually learn this form of academic journal writing. And it wasn't just academic writing. writing. What? Distinct writing. It, yeah. Yes, and I, I can write succinctly, but she was okay not telling everything. Right. Well, and, you know, I'm um, thinking about some of the emails that I get from, from, from people, and uh, they're hard to read because they're not succinct. Yeah. Succinct yeah. writing is really an important skill. Yeah. And, but she did it on her annotation, not just on uncommunicating. It just was, an, it was nice. But keeping a personal journal is, is something that we... Um, hold out as an expectation for you as our teachers because we want you writing because then you will be better mentors. The next one is actually keeping a TJ planner, a Thomas Jefferson planner. Um, and Melody is such a good example of this. And my Thomas Jefferson planner looks totally different than hers. Mine, she has hers all in notebook, big, huge, fat notebooks, one whole notebook for her classic section, 10 notebooks for her project section. Um, <laughs> Maybe 40. I don't know. Um, anyway, they're all sections on in a bookshelf. Mine are all in files. I love my projects are in files and a note file thing. I mean, they look different, but the point is that we actually keep a, a planner of, of those who mentor us and the mentor sec- sessions and um, things like that. report should be filed. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, your creations, whatever your personal projects are. Um, that's something that we expect of you. I, w- I want to move on now. We've got 20 minutes and <laughs> we've got a lot to cover. I want to talk about the six points of editing. When when our students get into um, into TJYC, there's a few things that we ask of them and we get them thinking about. And um, we capture part of this as the six points of editing. And we say, who are you writing to? Your target audience is really important. Who are you writing to? 
are you writing to me as your teacher? Are you writing to each other? Are you going to write, you know, who are you writing to? You need to really be very clear about who you're writing to because it's going to help you find your voice and um, help you know the language you're going to use. It really dictates a lot that happens in your paper once you figure out who your target audience is. Can I back Nick? up for just one second? Sure. I want to, I want to mention that I um, when I teach, that is really my classroom. That's where I'm learning because that's how I like to learn is through teaching. And I do my very best to um, um, write the papers along with the students. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you put that one in there, too. That, it really is true that, that that is a good practice. And that would mean that there's five forms of writing that were, you know, ways to be writing that we actually expect of our teachers. Well, it can be part of our own creation. Yeah, it is. I don't know. If we're writing funny. along with the students. I, I got on my um, computer this morning and did a search on writing and I, and Elodie, I have no idea if you remember that we did this, but in 2002, we'll said um, something that's called the Thomas Jefferson Certification Writing. And um, here are four goals for the essay, the Blue Book exam. We are trying to inspire the student to see the value in writing. That really is part of the course. We are trying to inspire the students to desire to write well. That is a major goal for TGYC and for the other projects. We are giving the student practice in writing essay style. There are so many forms of writing, and we're giving them practice essay style. We are helping the student practice thinking. And then I have helps and scholar skills for writing. One of the things that happens is teaching them about what an operational thesis is, which is we ask this question. Can you prove your thesis? That's an operational thesis. Can you prove your thesis? And is it clear and concise? So as we, as parents, when we coach our students, as the writing coach for TGYC, and as the teacher for TGYC, these are questions we're asking them. Do you have an operational thesis? In other words, can you prove it? Yeah, and I'm, is it clear and concise? When I am a writing mentor for those who are in TJYC, I'm very specific about. Now, you talked about the six forms of editing, so that structure would go on. Um, you're talking about structure. Do you have a do you have a, an operational thesis? Can it be can it be proven? That, right, right. These are all the parts of these over here. Yeah, right. Like, so, like this one on creating an. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I'm just saying uh, it will it'll help us really quick if we really quickly list those points. Okay, I'll list number one. Fit in them. Yeah. Number one is target audience. Number two, uh, the second point of editing is content. We are going to look at their content. That's a really big one. On are they thinking? Okay. What is the content? The third one is the structure, the form that they're going to use. Is it a five-paragraph essay? Is do they have their thesis and their conclusion? Um, where do they? It's really interesting. Sometimes the thesis isn't stated until the conclusion. Believe right. it or not, there are tons of writing what structure that way. you use. Exactly. The fourth one is the flow. Um, are they flowing or have they lost me somewhere? The fifth one is grammar. 
and the sixth one is punctuation. Now, these questions that I'm going to go through sit over there, so I'm going to kind of bounce back and forth. Um, okay, so when my students... Can I interject something here? Really quickly. My yeah. husband said to me today as he was walking out the door, he says, what are you, what are you teaching today yeah. on the conflict? Well, I said, um, writing process. And he says, oh, you're, you're good at that one. I said, what are you talking about? My husband has always wanted to be a writer, has always been, wanted to be a writer since he was little. I mean, he's been writing things all, all of his life. I said, what are you talking about? You're the writer in the family. He said, oh, no, 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 no. He says, Vanellity, you know when the kids have a question about writing, who do they come to? Do they come to me or do they come to you? They go to you because you're a great editor of the six points of editing. Yeah. He says, the only ones I can do is grammar and punctuation. He says, if they want to say something, I don't care how they say it. it if it doesn't make sense, I don't know how to make it make sense. Well, it's really true that um, you, there will be people who are better at one kind of editing than another. Right. Like what right. I, um, I know that for me, one of the hardest, I can edit. Um, well, I'm not going to talk about what I can edit, but I know when I need an editor for flow, I know that I can send a paper over to Dr. Torhiki. Um, and that's one of the hardest edits to find is someone who can actually see when when the pace got lost and, and you skipped the ability to flow or you jumped clear to another thesis and didn't know you did or your line of logic um, skipped to too many steps or you put too many in and so you clogged the flow. I mean, it, it, it just depends. There, you actually think differently. I know um, various different times when Oliver publishes, he'll... I'll get a package in the mail and he'll ask me to review it and edit something. And I don't know which way he appreciates that I'm editing. I usually don't edit too, edit too much of his grammar and punctuation. Um, it's usually content um, that I'll end up editing and um, principles and ideas. And um, sometimes, sometimes it's a little bit of flow because I'll put an example like you, you touch on this, but then you drop it real quick and I think it would be nice if you had a story here, maybe something like, and, you know, he has to look at the back of the page because I'll be writing in there what would feel good to me to read. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. um, but we edit in different ways. And, um, but as the teacher, we tell them, these are the things I'm looking for. When they're creating an outline, I ask them, how are you going to prove your point? Are you going to use historical examples? Are you going to use reasoning? Um, what are you going to put, where are you going to put them in your paper? Um, I really like this story of um, that, that how we, how you discovered um, what the proof, good proofs are for a, a good paper. Um, oh, CSU. so fun. And, and these are the, they learn these four proofs. Okay. In TJYC, we teach these four proofs and they come, this is, this is the, this is what the highest level of reading is and it's called thinking and it's when you read something <laughs> you read something and you see something that's not um it's just implied it's not just just that you know let me do your thinking for you and tell you this or that but this is something that um i mean it's all implied in this little excerpt from c.s lewis and all of a sudden i realized because i had read many things by C.S. Lewis, 
I all of a sudden could see what it was he was doing. Okay. And so these four things that we teach called the four proofs actually come because Anelzi and I noticed that it was what C.S. Lewis did, even though he never told us he was doing this. It's what he did. And we realized. Great not. Yeah. Okay. Here's what he says. No. He, this was his first encounter with his first liberal arts mentor. Which is great okay. knock. Yeah, the great knock. Um, Kirk says, he, he picks them up, okay? Um, he says, you are now, said Kirk, proceeding along the principal artery between Great and Little Bookham. That sentence right there really threw me. I've never heard of a road called the principal artery. Okay? Oh, so but, Bookham but, is the place where he lived. Right, and I didn't know that Great Little Bookamore was a place in England, okay? So even the first sentence had like four things in it that I had to stop and think about or keep reading to try and pick up on what he meant, right? You are now... Yeah. Say it again, you are now... Proceeding along the principal artery between Great and Little Bookham. Oh my God, so, this principal yeah. artery of the road... Yeah, he picks them up so the, the train station. He gets them in the in the carriage, and the first thing he says, "You are not sitting alone." Yeah, the only thing is to remind me of his conversations with Rachel Camille. I mean, he keeps talking, and I diminish. Still use the words I've never heard of. You know, just like anyway. Okay, I still was glad to him. I began to make conversation in the deplorable manner which I had acquired. I stood up surprised at the scenery of Surrey. It was much wilder than I expected. Stop, shouted Kurt, with a suddenness that made me jump. What do you mean by wildness? And what grounds had you for not expecting it? I replied, I don't know what, still making conversation. As answer after answer was torn to shreds, it at last dawned upon me that he really wanted to know. He was not making conversation, nor joking, nor snubbing me. Steve wanted to know. I was stung into attempting a real answer. A few passes sufficed to show that I had no clear and distinct idea corresponding to the word wildness, and that, insofar as I had any idea at all, wildness was a singularly inept word. Do you not see, then, concluded the great knock, that your remark was meaningless? I prepared to a little assuming that the subject would now be dropped. Never was I more mistaken in my life. Having <laughs> analyzed my term, Kirk was proceeding to deal with my proposition as a whole. On what had I based, but he pronounced it bias, my expectations about the flora and the geology oh my God. And what have you biased? Was it map? This guy is a king of rhetoric, isn't he? Yeah. Was it map? Or photograph? Or books? I could produce none. It had, heaven helped me, never occurred to me that what I called my thoughts needed to be biased on anything. Kirk once more drew a conclusion, without the slightest sign of emotion, but equally without the slightest concession to what I thought could matters. Do you now see, then, that you had no right to have any opinion whatever on the subject? <laughs> you have no right to have an opinion. Yes. <laughs> By this time, our acquaintance had lasted about three and a half minutes. <laughs> but the you, oh, he met his his great mentor and was in three right. and a half minutes. It's <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, 
But the tone set by this first conversation was preserved without a single break during all the years I spent in Bookham. The idea that human beings should exercise their vocal organs or their pencils, I defended. For any purpose except that of communicating or discovering truth was to him preposterous. The most casual remark was taken as a summons to disputation. I soon came to know the differing values of his three openings. The loud cry of stop was slung into a restaurant of verbiage which could not be endured a moment longer, not because it fretted his patience, he never thought of that, but because it was wasting time, darkened, oh, waiting time, darkening counsel. The hastier and quieter excuse ushered in a correction or distinction, merely, parent, merely parenthetical, and betokened that, thus set right, your remark might still, without absurdity, be allowed to reach completion. The most encouraging of all was, I hear you. This meant that your remark was significant and only required refutation. It had risen to the dignity of error. When we got so far, I always followed the same lines. Had I read this? Had I studied that? Had I any statistical evidence? Had I any evidence of my own experience? And so to the almost inevitable conclusion. Do you not see, then, that you had no right? Some boys would not have liked it. To me, it was red beef and strong beer. I thought, red beef and strong beer. That's right. Um, so he got C.S. Lewis to see. And thank goodness for Professor In the first Kirk. three minutes, the hairs my head. I have to actually have, you know, he's actually interested in me. He's interested in my thoughts. And I better have some reason for having that thought. <laughs> okay. Oh, so that I could be a great mentor like the great knock. Yeah. No kidding. Now, yes, we, yeah, we really are running out of time. And I want to cover this a little bit more with the target audience. These are the three things that you ask. And now... Here's the fun thing. Even when you're preparing a class, I never, never prepare a class without asking this question. I have my target audience asking, what do I want them to know? What do I want them to feel? And what do I want them to do? And you ask this to uh, your uh, target audience. Well, yeah. Well, and it, that should be included in your content. Yeah, well, the answering these questions then gives you what you're going to say, what you're going to, it gives you everything. If you yeah. don't nail this first off, um, it, you know, you might have to write for a while before you can even nail it. But the point is, these three things need to be known. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, King it's, calls this unearthing the dinosaur, that you do have to write a little bit before you know who your target audience is. And then you have yeah, to, so, yeah, you have to go through a process. Yeah, that's right. And um, it won't be so, in the first draft sometimes. Yeah. The content is going to reflect the no, feel, and do. It's going to um, have the poetry and the prose. It's going to, we don't even have time to go into all these. Uh, you know, do you realize we always do two calls on writing and this is why? Because I can like breeze through this stuff or we can do another call. And um, it's one of the we most important things. That's what we really need to do because we always have before. We always have two calls on writing because we are barely into the meat. Yeah. Now that we've discussed the philosophy, another call on it. I really would like to um, 
I wanted to invite Natalia and Tatiana on to just ex- to tell their experiences about uh, the writing and writing process. Tatiana and Talia, can you unmute yourself? You go ahead and schedule another call to finish this TJYC stuff, but I wanted to get their um, input. Yeah, and we could do our call in two weeks on this because we don't have a guest coming in two weeks. Are you on, Tati and Talia? Tatiana had to go to the church and clean, but I'm here. Okay. Talia, um, I I'm, I'm wanted to just get some of your feedback on how you feel about writing and, um, and what your process has been and tell them a little bit about what you're doing right now in your life on writing. Well, um, unlike most people, sorry, that was my phone. Um, I don't have a, a fear of writing at all. If anybody tells me to write something, I'm, I get excited. I think, oh, that's cool. I'll be fun. Although it has to, I only like to write about things that I have opinions about. So if someone asks me to write something and I don't have an opinion about it, I don't really want to write. But I think that's how most, most kids are. They don't want to write because they don't have an opinion about it. Because mm-hmm. they have nothing in their head. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't say I'm the best at grammar and spelling and things like that, but that's what I have my desk. But I, I, every time I write a new paper, I learn new things about that kind of stuff, and I care more about it every single time. Yeah. What are you doing right now in your life? Um, I'm writing a, a paper on um, a book on the hero, the hero cycle. And it's a poem. And I'm learning about poetry and things like that as I write it. And it's, it's I'm really loving it, actually. And, and who's um, your target audience, Talia, with that poem? Children. Um, from the ages I have 9 to 12. And what is it you want them to know when you're done? Um, that you can embark upon great things and finish them. And, and what do you want them to do? What do I want them to do? Yeah. I want them to be inspired and to do great things. I'm sorry, my son's here screaming at me and my husband's okay. arm like hand him on. all right. You're good. I can still hear you. Okay, good. <laughs> and what do you want your um, little 8 to 12-year-old to feel when they're reading your poem? Um, excitement and like it's an epic adventure. Things that are that this really cool thing that this person is doing and it's going to get them farther into life. Okay, I'm going to ask you some hard questions. We we didn't go over this before you got on the call, but I think you'll have the right answer for it. Do you have any a mentoring process or a mentor that's helping you with this? Um, yes, I do. I, I go to a class and one of the things we have is we talk about have a writing portion of it and I share writing my paper. workshop. Yeah, a writing workshop and I share my paper with them and they give me input and feedback and I see if I can improve upon what I've already written. So you have so, a setup to help you get uh, make it better and better. Yes. Wow. Which is really important because I went there the first time and said, hey, I have this writing and then I realized, oh my gosh, it is not very good. I need a lot of help. <laughs> And and did they help you? Yes, and made it a hundred times better. Wow, how cool is that? And so now it becomes a community effort. Yes, yes, it does. 
And and you do you think that your specialty is poetry? That that's your that's your structure that you use best? Because remember I, we talked about uh, target audience content. We've already covered those two. You know what your content is. You know your your target audience. And now your structure is a poet is a poem, I, an epic poem, right? Yeah, it is. Think that's your best kind of writing is epic poetry. Not necessarily. I'm pretty good at I'm pretty good at poetry. Have been since I was young. But um, I can write in other styles, but I really enjoy writing poetry. That was the answer I wanted to hear. <laughs> so you can do all different kinds of structures. Yes. Good. And do you feel like you understand the structures very well, or do you just feel confident you can learn the structure if you need to? I just feel confident and I can learn it if I need to. Good. Very good. Thank you. I really appreciate your uh, your input. And I, and I really, I know that uh, grammar and punctuation and spelling isn't your forte, but you're not afraid to write. That makes me proud of you. <laughs> Thanks, Natalia. You're welcome. Okay. Um, here's what we're going to do. We will, our call in two weeks will continue where we go into depth on um, the six points of editing. It's really important. Um, we'll be talking about different forms. We'll be talking about um, flow and and how to help you be able to see it. Anyway, we'll go into we'll have a second call in two weeks to finish up some of the content and our training in the writing process. And Anelody, should we open up for question and answer right now or wait? Let's do. Okay. This is Belinda. Hi. 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 Um, you t uh, mentioned four proofs um, that C.S. Lewis gave, but it went so fast yeah. I didn't catch. Can you? Well, I didn't give them yet. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. We're, we're running, running out of time. Okay, yeah, I'll go ahead and mention them. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what they are, even though we're going to go with them in detail, okay? Okay, that'd be great. Okay, um, historicity. I, I didn't even know what that word is. Anything that happens in evidence. Yeah, yeah, historical evidence. You've got stories. Oh, historicity. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. I Logic, just and hear it. Logic and reason. Okay. Personal experience. And the revealed word. Okay. Personal experience also includes other people's um, experience, uh, you know, in your own realm. Does uh -huh. that make sense? Like my sister went to Africa and so from her I learned. Exactly. Okay. Right. Anyone else? Question. I have a question. Okay. This is Sheila from Michigan, California. Hi, Sheila. Hi. Um, I don't quite know where to start because I probably have so many questions, but I guess my main thing is I have two sons, um, ages 11 and 14, who both don't want anything to do with thinking or writing, period. So where does one start? I mean, they're, you know, they're at the age where they're they should let me ask. Let me ask you a question, um, okay. and and this might be brutal. Don't take it brutally, okay? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> the the question is, um, how often are they seeing you write? That's the question. Um, yeah. Do they see you keeping the journal? Do they see you taking notes on the things you're reading? Do they see you writing letters to family members? Do you write to them? Do you ever express yourself to them in writing? Um, are you writing papers? 
are you writing in three months? If you actually do the five or actually try and make it so that every day they see you writing, don't even talk about writing with them. Just start okay. doing it, start living it. And then in three months at the next um, mentor interview, bring it up. It's okay. Wait, which mentor interview is that? When you, you have your interview, oh, okay. That's right. As parents, when you have a weekly interview with them in three months, after for three months, every single day, them yeah. actually in the peripheral, see mom writing. And okay. you bring that in the open where they can see you write. That's I mean, right. I have my computer that's right down on the dining room table, and the kids say, Mom, what are you working on? Yeah. I'm writing my book. Me and Tiffany are writing a book called The Parent Mentor. Can you read it to me? Yeah, I'll tell you this really funny story I'm viewing right now. It's okay. Yeah. Okay. I have been doing better recently and lately mm -hmm. with my notebook, taking notes and things like that. But I, I don't really write papers because I don't really know where to start myself as far as... Go to the next level. What are, are you teaching right now? Um, no, actually, I took the training this year and intended to teach, but I had some health issues that came up, so I, I ended up canceling the whole thing. So Are you doing it by senior? Pardon? Are you, are you reading? Color? Are you reading right now? Um, yeah, I have several books I'm reading. Okay, then you have plenty to write about. <laughs> are you thinking right now? If you're thinking right now, then you have plenty to write about. Okay, see, I think a lot, but I guess I don't have the confidence that anything that I would have to say would mean anything to anybody else yet because I don't feel like I'm that far alone in my... Yeah. Uh, then, then decide for yourself who your target audience is. If it's just you and your husband and your children, that's good enough for me. Okay. Yeah. But set up a structure literally where 15 to 30 minutes in the day, they're going to see mom writing. And okay. you will, it will be like magic that their fight will disappear. If, now, if, if you have you, to realize that if I'm writing a paper, I have to have chunky time. So I have to have four hours to write a paper. But if I'm writing a journal, I can do it for 15, 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah. Okay. So it depends on what, what system you need to set up. Okay. But, but they need to see you doing it for you to have their respect or for them to respect what you say when you say, you know, it's really important that you're writing right now. Um, the, the crazy thing about education is there's a lot of nonverbal communication that happens between a mentor and a mentee. And the nonverbal communication is one thing, and that is example. Okay. okay. And yeah. there is more power in that. What's that? I was going to say, do you have any advice for me? Because I, I keep... I haven't been doing um, Thomas Jefferson for very long, and I don't feel like I'm, you know, very successful at it yet. And I, I keep trying to get back on the conveyor belt, and I keep kind of panicking, like, oh, my gosh, if I make them write, you know. If I, if, so when you just said go for three months without doing anything, it, you know, it's like it's scary. Yeah, it's, it's going to be real scary. But what's going to happen is that it will inspire them, and inspire is 90% of the process. You can require all you want for the next three months, but what you really want is for them to buy into it. Right. And when exactly. they buy into it, you will have no battle for the next 10 years. And they will be writers for their life. Now, I do have to say, you have to go by your inspiration. If you get inspired in two weeks to do it, do it in two weeks. Okay. But the point is, you're going to work on an environment of inspiring them, which means you've got to go do it. Right, right. Okay. And you've got to share it with them. 
Do it and share it with them. Oh, guys, I wrote this really cool paper or have this really cool thought and I want to read it to you. Or oh, ask their advice. Say, I'm trying to go from this point to this point. I don't know how to get there. And you will be shocked that your boys know how to think. My, my dad did this to me. He w- and I don't know if he did it on purpose. I'm going to call him today and ask him if he actually did this, uh, you know, on purpose or if he really meant it because I really felt like he meant it. But he, I would come in from doing whatever I was doing. I'd see him at the dining room table with his yellow legal pad set out and he'd have his scripture set out. He'd have five or six books set out. And he would say to me, he'd say, Tiff, I'm writing a talk on um, this and this. And he'd say, well, what do you think? How should, what should I tell him? I'd sit at the table and I'd talk to him for 20 minutes to an hour. And he'd have his whole talk written because I'd tell him how to do it. And I was seven. I was eleven, and, and this must be really real. You realize my dad is a is a teacher at Georgewood College. Okay, he called me on the phone a year ago. He says, "Tiff, they want me to give him a but I can't tell the story. Okay, he says I'm I'm teaching public speaking, and they want me to give him a syllabus. The college wants a syllabus. I can't just go in and teach every week. They want a syllabus. And if I said, okay. And I pulled out the, com- I said, well, let's get together. So we, we had a six hour drive from St. George to Salt Lake the next week. We raised and I'd go with him. So no kids, you know, it, we could actually think. And, um, he, he, it was the same thing as when I was 11. He'd say, what do you think? And all I would ever do is ask him, well, dad, what do you want your students to know? He'd start telling me. I'd pull out my laptop. I'd start writing it. I'd say, great. What else do you want them to know? He'd start telling me. I'd, I'd keep writing it. I'd say, well, great. Um, and then I say, well, did you know that this book and this book and this book feed that? And he says, well, yeah, so does da 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 da. I said, great, there's your reading list. And, and here's what teaches this and this. And he goes, and so does da 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 da. And pretty soon he'd have this, you know, eight week outline, everything. He, and we'd break it up. And he'd say, this is what they're going to do. This is their assignment. This is this. This is this. I don't know. Maybe he didn't do it on purpose. Maybe my dad's an external processor like I am. And just needed somebody to talk it out with, you know? But if you do that with your kid, you will train them to think. It's, it's, it's really true, Tiffany. I just want to be a second witness to that. Tatiana comes over, Mom, I need to talk. And the reason why she does that is because we've established a relationship of we, we talk about these things through together. You know, I just need to... T- I was talking to her about um, aristocracy, natural aristocracy, and I said, Tati, I, I really want to get a grasp on this. I'm trying to understand it a little bit better. I understand that the war between the North and the South really was a war about aristocracy. And I said, Who, where can I go to get information about this? And she gave me an article, and then we started talking about it. And, and eventually, you know, now it's in my paper. And keep them in your thoughts. It's the whole process. It's not just writing. It's the whole process of thinking and talking and discussing and getting them on the same page that, you, that you're on by, by including them in what you're studying. And that's, that's going to inspire them. I know you feel like you're in crisis. I do have to tell you, you have an 11-year-old and a 14-year-old, and I've been there. I didn't start doing an autonomous Jefferson education um, specifically or family until my oldest daughter was 14 years old. So I really understand how you're feeling. And I've got to tell you what I did. I went in with both barrels loaded. I jumped right. 
I did not. I knew I was in crisis. I knew I was. That's exactly so how I, I feel. So I didn't. So I didn't. I didn't blink an eye. I did not blink an eye. I just jumped in and I said, you know what? I have core phase. I have learning phase. I need a scholar phase. My daughter needs a scholar phase. And do you know why Lemmy exists? Is because I was in. I was in crisis. Because I understood that if I could get in the classroom, I would be able to get a scholar phase at the same time and my daughter could get a scholar phase. The teaching became extremely important to me because it was, it was going to take both of us along and give us a common language. Um, I, I really recommend it. I, I obviously, you weren't able to do that this year, but um, even setting up a small inf- a formal class in your own home would be an opportunity for you to say, hey, I'm gonna, I want to learn this, guys. Can you learn it with me? Mm-hmm. Okay. I know how it feels to be in crisis. Yeah, but do exactly. you do have to realize that there that if you set up a system that's going to uh, help you, you can it takes a lot of the fear away. Okay. And what would you recommend? Because as far as I know, I'm the only well, I'm the only person I know in my area that's doing Thomas Jefferson. I've tried to, I've tried to get a few friends in going on it and they've read the book or they've been to what is your area where are you at orange county california and so i have no community i have no other scholars kids for my kids to be in peer group with and i did i did set up a cloakroom for this month on one of the seven habits you know highly effective teens so i'm trying to get something i'll give i'll give you a hint um if you're in a place that there aren't other families this uh-huh. is just something I've learned. You actually have to start by focusing on the adults. Like you okay. said, you're trying to get other parents, but it's, and most adults are receptive to a once a month class to where you can even take the content of what we're teaching and teach Listen, it there. I think she can start either way with youth or adult. What I yeah, you can start with youth, but okay. I mean, if you actually want a peer group later yeah. for your kids. Uh, and I'll tell you what, what motivates uh, parents more than anything is, to, is, to, is their kids. So, yeah, right. you know, there's, there's two sides to that coin. But I will tell you what you need to do is connect. That's because there are lots of people in Orange County. I'm going to give you the name of two people that you need to contact because, who can help you get connected with people down there. Okay. Sean Crane. Oh, she's in LA or... Yeah, but she's going to teach you how to connect your area. Okay. Sean, Sean is an amazing connector. Okay. Okay. So she's going to teach you how to connect with people. And okay. um, Dina Ortiz. Okay. I've who's in Riverside you. County. Okay. You've got someone who's in Riverside County, someone who's in L.A. County, and I'm going to guarantee you there's some crossover there. They can connect you up with Orange County people. Okay. You That's call great. them. You tell them what's going on in your life. You tell them that... These two women can become great mentors for you. They are fabulous, fabulous um, contacts. They're, okay. they're well, well trained in TJ Ed. Um, Dina Ortiz sponsors the um, TJ's forum down oh. there. Okay. Yeah, and and she has a list of people. If she, since she's in charge of the forum down there, she has a list of people that I'm sure she can connect you to. Okay, <clears throat> let's try that. But it is the art of connection. Have you read the book The Tipping Point? No, uh-uh. it's probably one of the most important next reads you'll have. Pick it okay. up today. Okay, I will. I, I I've been wondering what where I should start as well. So that 
that's a good one for me. Well, it, so. it's 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 because you need to start connecting with people because your children need a peer group. And you can yeah. feel it, and you feel. And I, I, I'm so, I've so been where you are. I know how you're feeling. It's a scary place to be, mm-hmm. but you're, but you're on the right track. I guarantee you on the right track. Okay. What would you recommend for the, uh, the first way to get parents involved? Um, you know, should I, should I tie well, them to the, the well, like I said, like I said to you, yeah, face to face is really an, a, a great, a great resource, but um, you know, there's no better way to the heart of a parent than to go through their their child. Okay. You know, tell them I'm offering this class for anyone who's interested. Come along with me, and it's not too late okay. to start if you're feeling better. Oh, really? You don't think it? Because I kept thinking, well, maybe I should wait till next year. No, that's too. No, long it's not too late to start. Okay. It's not too late to start. Started in January. Tell people, I'm starting it in January. Come along with me. Okay. Great. That, that's good to know because I was feeling like I was would be way too far behind to get started now. And so, but I guess that's conveyor belt thinking. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate well, all your your advice. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we 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 need date, Tiffany. I think it's time for us to wrap it up. <laughs> thank you for all of your patience. Thank you, everyone, and we'll get on with you again in a couple of weeks and continue on the the scholarship writing. Yeah, the writing process. Very good. All right. Awesome. Have a happy Thanksgiving next week, and the holidays are upon us, and it's so fun. And 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 go keep going, keep doing it, keep being those great scholars that we know you are. Thanks for listening to this episode. Just as in every Lemmy training, we hope you walk away uplifted and inspired, but also empowered to be a better mentor for your family and your community. Please be sure to subscribe and share. We also want to express our gratitude to all the Lemmy mentors, past and present. You got this. You can do hard things.